Hey, we're so happy you found us online. The message you're about to hear was recorded live at Grace Family Church. We're a community following the call to love God, love people, and make a difference. We meet at four locations around Durban and at graceonline.tv. Go ahead and share this message, or you can download it and listen to it in your car or at home later today. Wherever you are in the world, wherever you're listening from, thank you for connecting with us. And may you be encouraged by the message coming up next. you but I just want to share a little bit about my um, coronavirus experience up to this point. I've just found it so interesting to watch what's going on. I mean it's amazing from social distancing uh, you know in our country we've been allowed to go out in the mornings and exercise and when you uh, approach someone that you know you end up uh, shouting at them because they're they're standing so far uh, away from you and in a sense there's like this lean away, you know, people are avoiding one another. Um, as a parent, I don't think I've ever told my kids to wash their hands more uh, than I have in this season. I'm like, wash your hands. Uh, wash your hands after you've washed your hands. Oh, no, you touch the bottle. No, wash your hands again. And it's just like these poor kids, they, they, their skin is starting to fall off of their hands. Um, and, and when I go, you know, for a walk, I know that face masks are now becoming uh, like this in thing and even fashionable. And so I put my face mask on and it's like my glasses start fogging up and you're breathing and then you're trying to put it down, uh, you know, so that your nose can peek out and, and you can get a little bit more breath in without your glasses fogging up. And then it fogs up again and then you bump into something. Um, and, and I don't know about you, but going shopping is like a traumatic experience. Everyone's quiet and you walk through the aisles and, and you're, you're scared to pick up something and look at what the cost is of it because it's like, how many people have touched this thing? Um, and, and so you, you, there's just this tentativeness. And it's amazing to me, you know, in this season, like global authorities, different countries, uh, different presidents at different times are, are sending that message. Uh, go to your room. You know, if you want to stay alive and you want to stay healthy, then, then you need to go to your room. Or, or they're saying things like, okay, guys, for this season, you actually need to stay in your room. And so I take a step back and I'm like, what on earth is, is going on here? And isn't it interesting that humanity is so concerned about cleanliness? We are so concerned and obsessed about hygiene about not getting infected uh, by the COVID-19 disease because we know that honestly it can lead to death. And, and, and I know that the stakes are high and I know that it is so serious and, and I know that humanity, I mean communities and crowds and families and households are on high alert around how clean we stay. And this has struck me. 
you know, as a word picture that, that I want to use uh, as an illustration that I've started to think in my mind, I wonder if we take as seriously, you know, our, our cleanness, our hygiene, when it comes to our relationships with God. You know, I don't know about you, but, but when you think about your right standing with God, when you think about your uh, circumstances, your relationships, your imperfections, uh, your mistakes, your inadequacies, particularly in a season like this where I think we're moving into a reality where many people uh, will pass from one reality into a next, into the next. How are you in your relationship with God? How am I when it comes to my relationship with God? Am I right with Him? Am I clean before Him? Do we even put in the same parameters and, and um, legislation and announcements around our right standing with God and our cleanliness before Him? And I thought about this uh, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, He gives this Sermon on the Mountain. And it's one of the most famous sermons in all of history given. And, and when you work through this sermon, Jesus rightly defines and redefines the Old Testament law. And when you read this sermon with eyes of faith, and when you read this sermon as you ought to read it, it's like you, you should feel a sense of real inadequacy and of uncleanliness. And it is so amazing to me that after this sermon, the first interaction that Jesus has, and that must have been an amazing sermon to have witnessed. Jesus comes down the mountain, and a man with leprosy, he comes to Jesus. And, and if you had leprosy in that day and age, it was significant. You were viewed as someone unclean. You were viewed as someone who... Uh, it, it, you would have had to have been socially distant. You would have had to have had your mask on. You wouldn't have been allowed to touch a person like this um, because he was outwardly unclean and unwelcome in his community. And this man with leprosy comes to God. Sorry, he comes to Jesus. Sorry, he comes to God. And he came and he knelt before him. And he said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus shows us the heart of God. And Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man and says, I am willing. This is God's heart. I am willing. I'm willing to make you clean. And so he says, be clean. And I love this picture because this physical reality of leprosy, it's supposed to be used as a metaphor of our spiritual state. When we read through parts of the Bible, when we come under the preaching of the Sermon on the Mount, this is often what I feel like. I feel so unworthy, so inadequate, so unclean so unlikely to come before a holy, beautiful, brilliant, almighty God. And yet, when I look at this man with leprosy and I see the heart of Jesus, 
and the words, I am willing. I want to kneel before him. Friends, even now in your hearts, you can kneel before him. You can say, Lord, if you're willing, would you make me clean? And you can hear the words, be clean. Now, why have I started with this coronavirus illustration and our obsession as a globe with cleanliness? Today, we are in part three of our series where we look at the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, referred to as an advocate. And today is such a special day in the Christian calendar because today is the day where we think about and celebrate the historical act of Pentecost where God has given us the Holy Spirit in His fullness. And the Holy Spirit, aka also known as the advocate, uh, is, is the word picture and the metaphor that we're going to camp on today. Now, I thought about this. Why and when is an advocate important to you and me in our lives? Because you don't get on the phone to an advocate unless you need an advocate. You only phone an advocate when it's necessary to make that phone call. And the time that you make a phone call is, is when you need legal representation, when someone is uh, convicting you of guilt, of uncleanliness, of inadequacy. Then you make that phone call and you say, I need an advocate to represent and defend my case. And the word picture of an advocate, it leads us to the metaphor of a courtroom. And today, the one word picture that I want to camp on next, would you journey with me potentially into the courtroom of your soul? You see, I had the privilege of, of phoning a senior advocate in our country and asking him this week uh, to unpack the metaphor of a courtroom, of his role to help us better understand the characteristics and the role of the Holy Spirit and why Pentecost is so critical. And so he started by telling me about the setting of a courtroom. Let's dive into this word picture and this metaphor together. Think about a courtroom. Stand in the courtroom of your soul. You see, the setting of a courtroom is a place of coldness. A courtroom is so formal. It's, it's, it's so intimidating. It's unwelcoming. It's not a place that you want to go to. In fact, he said that 90% of cases are settled on the steps because people do not want to end up in a courtroom. It's plain, you know, it's unattractive. And he says, when you're in this courtroom, the first part of it is that you're just sitting down and, and, and it's silence. And imagine yourself sitting down next to your advocate. And he says, there's that moment where the judge walks in and everybody stands and it's chilling. And then when you are in the courtroom of your soul, the procedure is that the prosecutor goes first. 
And I don't know, maybe in this coronavirus season, when you think about cleanness, you might think about it spiritually in the categories of the law, you know, good and bad, of morality. It might be in the context of your identity and, and, uh, and your pursuits. And I don't know what makes you feel unclean. But when you think about your conscience or, or when you think about your inadequacies, your, your prosecutor, uh, ideally your conscience or the enemy goes first. And in this courtroom, he starts saying to the judge, and let's picture God as the judge because the scriptures give God that metaphor. And your prosecutor goes first and says things like this, and maybe your conscience says this. I'm not exercising enough. I'm not doing enough schoolwork with my kids. I'm not working hard enough. I'm not being a good father. I'm not being a good mother. I'm not being a good husband. I'm not being a good wife. I'm not caring enough for people. I'm not reading enough Bible stories to my kids. I'm not eating well enough. I'm not as happy as I should be. I'm not enjoying my family. And your prosecutor goes on and on. Your prosecutor might say, Judge, I want to make a case here. You say in your word that you shouldn't lust. Well, let me tell you about this person. Other people don't know about it, but I know what's going on in his heart and his mind. You, you say that you shouldn't be angry or you should love your neighbor. I just want to tell you about this person, the anger and the bad language that is coming out of the soul of this man. This guy may be preaching today and nobody knows what's going on in his soul, but I've got a case to make and your prosecutor brings this case. And as he finishes, as I was speaking with this advocate, he often looks at the accused. He would look at someone like me in this moment and describe how he thinks this person feels. How maybe sometimes when you put your head on the pillow, how you feel so imperfect, like that man with leprosy, so unclean, so unworthy. When you look at the circumstances of your life, your relationships, how you've blown it, how you've forgotten about the things that you did. And here they are. They just come out of nowhere. You think, how can I come before God? As an accused person, you feel vulnerable. You feel like you're in need of protection. There's this guilt. There's this silence. You feel diminished and exposed. You feel isolated. You have on the bench no community around you. And in this season of lockdown, don't you feel moments of isolation and loneliness? And you feel wounded. And at this point, you have to make a decision to put your faith and your trust in someone or something or somebody who can represent your case. And this is where the advocate steps in. And Jesus says these words, and I will ask the Father. He says it to the disciples and he says it to us. And he will give you another advocate. There's the word paracletus. He'll give you an advocate. And the day of Pentecost represents that he has given us a representative. He has given us an advocate who will never leave you. He's the Holy Spirit. 
who leads you into all truth. We need him. I need him. I feel my need of him daily. Can can I just speak about some of the characteristics of an advocate to just meditate on this word picture? As I was having this conversation with my friend, he said that an advocate is a person who speaks and writes and acts on behalf of another to advance a particular case or cause. You see, an attorney is a little bit like a general practitioner, like a doctor. But an advocate is a specialist, a specialist doctor. And their speciality is litigation. And they deal with arguments in court. He said that, that an advocate shows no favoritism. In fact, advocates need to adhere to what's known as the cab rank rule. And it's like this picture of uh, taxis or cabs in a queue at a taxi rank. And when someone arrives and needs a taxi, the taxi that's next in line has to take that passenger with no questions asked. The advocate cannot decline to act for a client because they may or may not like that person or may or not agree with that person's case. Shows no favoritism. An advocate uh, cannot say something he knows to be false. It is his job to choose the very best aspects of the client's case and use them to endeavor to persuade a judge. You know, and finally, everyone is entitled to an advocate. But I think what I think in my mind or what I've found is that although everyone's entitled to legal representation, not everybody can afford the speciality of an advocate. And here, Jesus says that your father has given you an advocate like this with these characteristics. I want to give you an example. In the early 1990s, Temba Makwenyana, he he murdered four South Africans. He was convicted of murder and he was sentenced to death uh, by hanging. His advocates took the decision on appeal to the highest court in the country. His advocates fought to preserve his life, even though he had brutally taken the lives of others. They did so before a panel of 11 judges, some of the brightest minds in the country. It was a truly daunting task. His advocates relied on the right to life in the South African Bill of Rights. They argued that the death penalty constituted an unjustifiable limitation of Temba's right to life. Those advocates and their relentless fight to save a murderer were widely scorned by the South African public. They were persecuted for seeking to save a murderer. But they won the case. And Temba's life was spared. And the death penalty was abolished. And the last sentence of the 392 paragraph judgment of the court, it reads like this. Everyone, everyone including the most abominable of human beings has the right to life. And capital punishment is therefore unconstitutional. And this example, it just communicates to me the heart of God. This 
is the role of the Holy Spirit. When you are faced with your accusations, the accusations of your conscience and of your enemy, this is what the Holy Spirit, this is what the advocate does. He represents your case. He fights for you. He makes a case to the right for life. This is what he longs for. He longs for us to experience this, to taste this, to have this now and for all eternity. Now, I know that there is an objection here. I think about that objection. How can God just sweep something like murder under the rug? What about the victims? What about those families? How can God do that? I cannot be a part of worshiping a God like that. Friends, this is where the gospel is so beautiful to me. This is where God is so wise to me. This, this is the very epicenter of what makes me worship God. It gives me so much hope. Because in the gospel, and what I mean by that, only at the cross, when you stand at a cross dripping with blood, do you see a God where love and justice meet? You see, many churches, and even in my own heart, we, 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 we ebb and flow. We say God is a loving God, but then we think he, he just, he takes all my imperfections and all my inadequacies and all my rebellion, and I have lots of it, and he just sweeps it under the rug because he's a love of God in the name of love. Or we're a part of uh, communities of faith where, where we come to a God of justice. You know, he, he's about eternal condemnation and he's harsh and he's angry and he just is out to kind of turn or burn and send people to hell. But in the gospel at the cross, we come to a God who is both a God of love and justice. He puts his son on public display he crucifies him. He says, your sin, your rebellion is paid for. And your advocate represents that case. And because of that, he says, come. I love everyone. Everybody has a chance. Everyone can come to me. Everyone can experience the embracing love and forgiveness and freedom offered by God. He loves us that much that he pays that price for us and at the cross we see the love of God and the justice of God and the wisdom of God exalted this makes me worship this makes me bow you might say this morning and I say how does this advocate the Holy Spirit represent me daily now and forevermore and practically, when I sit before God and I come before God and enjoy His presence, when I come before the judge, the lies of my heart make me feel my uncleanliness, make me feel like my spiritual coronavirus. And I'll try little strategies like masks and reading more and trying harder and my morality and identity pursuits. None of that stuff works. It doesn't cleanse the soul. And when I sit with those inadequacies, I say, come, Holy Spirit, my advocate, represent my case. Be my specialist in the courtroom of my soul. And this is where he leads you into all truth, leads me into all truth. 
the real truth of how our Father in heaven sees us from the throne that He sits on. His verdict over your life and my life from the cross is not guilty. Not guilty. Thank you, prosecutor. Not guilty. This is my son. This is my daughter. Forgiven. Loved. Cherished. Lavished. Welcome. Included. Can come to me anytime. Can come near to the living God. You see, I read the promises of God. I read the truth of God. And when I read God's word and his Bible, this is what the Holy Spirit does. He leads me into all truth and leads me away from the lies of my accusation. And, and, and you know what is amazing? It's so inclusive of all. And for many in real life who cannot afford an advocate, the poorest of the poor, the lowest of the low, the down and out, can receive this free gift from God, legal representation where the advocate ministers to us says, come as you are, come, come to your Father in heaven. And one of the things the Holy Spirit does, our advocate, is that His Spirit testifies to our spirit and enables us to cry those words, Abba, Father. You know, when I sit in the courtroom of my soul, in the loneliness and those nights, and I think about a throne room and God is a judge, you know that that judge on the throne I see him as my father. I go into this cold, unwelcome environment of my conscience. And then I'm like, but it's my dad. It's my dad on the bench. <laughs> and so I have no fear and experience freedom. Friends, may you enjoy today and celebrate Pentecost and experience the ministry of the ever-present help of the Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit who helps me pray a prayer. It, it, actually, in the words of a hymn, I sing this hymn monthly, sometimes weekly, but, but the Holy Spirit helps me see Jesus this way. And I want to close with this prayer. And so open your hearts. Pray this prayer with me today. Trust God for this today, that you can come. No fear. No fear in life. No fear in death. No fear in in ever after, before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name, can you believe it? My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. And I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue, no prosecutor can bid me thence depart. When Satan accuses me to despair, tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on Him and pardon me. God bless you guys today.
Amen.